0: Hey people, before we get started, I wanted to make sure you knew that this was uh, episode two of two with Dr. Becky Lynn, who is a gynecologist specializing in women's sexual health and menopause. This one, we're gonna talk about vaginismus, endometriosis, breast cancer, and resources for women who've been treated for living with breast cancer, and then advice for women how to talk to their doctor about their sexual health needs. So go back to last week if you wanna hear about the first part, which is all about hormones, myths about hormones, how we got to where we are in America with our fear and uh, kind of scarcity around providing hormones for women, and then come back today, or stay here and then go back later if you didn't listen to the first one. All right, thanks for joining. Welcome to You Are Not Broken, the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Kasperson. So going into more pain conditions with sex, can you talk about vaginismus? Yes.
1: So vaginismus is more of a, a lay term, but it means that you cannot allow penetration. You can't allow a penis in the vagina, a vibrator or dilator in the vagina without pain. And what it implies is pelvic floor muscle spasm. So that, so basically the pelvic floor is the layer of muscles that prevent everything from falling out when you stand up. So the uterus, the bladder, the rectum, it's this hammock of muscles. So like the way that I like to describe it is if you think of a skeleton, you think of the pelvic bones, right? There's a hole in the bottom. So that way a baby can fit out. But your uterus and your bladder don't fall out that hole, also because there's a hammock of muscles that everything rests on. That's your pelvic floor. The vagina has to traverse those muscles, the rectum has to traverse those muscles to get to the outside. So, there's a variety of reasons women will develop pelvic floor muscle spasm and hence vaginismus. And many times it has to do with pain for whatever reason. So, endometriosis is a common one. People have pelvic pain with menstrual cycles. Or or pelvic pain all the time, your body's response to pain is to contract those muscles and they stay contracted. And then they surround the vagina, which is just a long hollow tube and they go like that. And then a woman cannot allow penetration and she gets the diagnosis of vaginismus. So endometriosis is one thing that can cause that pelvic floor muscle spasm, interstitial cystitis, which is um, bladder pain syndrome can cause that vulvodynia where you have vulvar pain can lead to pelvic floor muscle spasm or pelvic floor muscle spasm can lead to vulvodynia and many times these are all connected if you have back or hip trauma can lead to pelvic floor muscle spasm so if you have vaginismus in my opinion it's really important to see a specialist because the answer is not just pelvic floor physical therapy that is the gold standard treatment But if your vaginismus is due to the fact that you also have endometriosis, you need to treat the endometriosis and do pelvic floor physical therapy. Because if you just do pelvic floor physical therapy and don't treat the endo, you're not going to get better. So I think it's really important to see somebody trained in pelvic pain or trained in sexual health. You can find providers on the ISWISH website. So that way they get the whole picture because sometimes I feel like people, they see their gynecologist for painful menstrual cramps, then they see a urologist because their bladder hurts and they see their GI doctor because their bowels their hurt or they're constipated and they have IBS and, but nobody's looking out for the whole person and they're all interrelated. So it's mm-hmm. really important to see a specialist for that.
0: I think of that, too, with genital urinary symptoms of menopause, which is such a mouthful for me to say. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, you don't have five things, right? You don't have pain with sex, overactive ah. bladder, dryness. And they think they have got all these pieces, but it's like, no, no, that's just all that comes with right. genital urinary symptoms of menopause. And it's really almost this unifying thing for women to be like, well, OK, you don't have to deal with five different things. We can actually treat the one thing and it can help all these different pieces.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and one thing I think is important about that, and that we forget sometimes, is that you know when you lose your estrogen, you're at higher risk for a recurrent bladder infections, and then you're, let's say, you're just getting treated over and over again with antibiotics when all you need is a little vaginal estrogen, which is pretty low risk and safe
0: to use. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's talk about endometriosis. How does that affect sex?
1: It affects sex a lot, mainly because it can cause painful sex or deep dyspareunia, where People will have pain, not, uh, not on entry as much, but deep dyspareunia. That's classic for endometriosis. But the other thing that happens with endometriosis is that you develop the pelvic floor muscle spasm. And now maybe you have vulvodynia related to pelvic floor muscle spasm. So now the initial penetration hurts as well. Then you are constantly in pain. So, so endo usually starts out with really bad menstrual cramps, but in many women it will develop and you just have chronic pain all the time. Well, chronic pain makes you depressed. It would make me depressed. And when you are depressed or you're anxious, that just turns up the volume on pain. Your brain hears it a lot louder. Then throw in that in, into the fact, you know, endometriosis is more common in the younger age groups. And you have a, maybe a partner who doesn't understand why sex hurts or doesn't quite get it or maybe think, is thinking you're making this all up. You know, you're always saying it hurts, you know, if everybody else is having normal sex. So, you know, endo can be, can be really bad and definitely cause painful sex. So, you know, if you go to your physician and you say sex hurts, they should definitely ask you do you have painful menstrual cramps? Because it's actually, I mean, it's pretty easy to screen for symptoms of endometriosis. You, it's not easily diagnosed for sure because you have to have surgery to diagnose it. So you have to have a laparoscopy where you go and a surgeon will look inside the belly and look for endometriotic implants. Where So endometriosis is where the lining of the uterus, the, the, the tissue that you shed each month, Ends up implanted in the abdomen, like on the bladder or on the ovaries or on the peritoneum, which is just the lining of the abdominal cavity. So, yeah, it can definitely cause painful sex. And then the problem is, it's that multiplier effect it causes painful sex, which then affects the relationship, which then leads to depression, which I mean, it's just, it just can really be serious.
0: Totally. And I think, you know, the, there's a lot of talk, which is a good thing about a uh, hypoactive sexual desire disorder or just low desire and yeah. women will come in and they'll say, I don't desire sex. Yeah. And then we find out that there's a significant pain component going on. And, you know, my, my analogy for that is I can, I love ice cream, but I, you can't make me like melted ice cream. You know, if, if the, if the sex is painful, no wonder the desire is gone and you can't expect that desire to come back up until you right. fix the melted ice cream. I love that analogy. Can I adopt that? Totally. (laughs) Okay,
1: good. (laughs) I love it. I'm never going to like melted ice cream. (laughs) You can't make me like
0: it, no matter what
1: you try. Right. No matter how many hormones somebody gives you, it's not going to work. It's not the painful.
0: Totally. Can you talk about sexual function after breast cancer and what options are available?
1: Yes. So breast cancer wreaks havoc on your sex life because many times it will throw you into an abrupt menopause. If you're a younger woman and you weren't menopausal before, chemo shuts down your ovaries. If you have an estrogen-dependent cancer or hormone-dependent cancer, you might have an oophorectomy where we take your ovaries out and it throws you into menopause. If you're already menopausal, many times you'll get started on an aromatase inhibitor. It's a medicine that works great to prevent recurrence of breast cancer, but it lowers your estrogen even more. So it shuts down all estrogen production because I think I mentioned most of estrogen comes from your ovaries, but a little bit comes from your fat. And so the aromatase inhibitors even prevent your fat cells from making estrogen. So you really run into lots of problems. So the two main problems, well, there are three. The first one is painful sex due to genitourinary syndrome of menopause because there's lack of hormones around. The other one is low libido. There's lack of hormones in your brain. You know, there's not much testosterone going up there, estrogen. And then the third one, if you think about it, is body image. So when somebody has breast cancer, you might have a bilateral mastectomy and you may or may not have reconstruction. You might not like how you look now. Or if you have a lumpectomy, there might be a defect in a breast. And breasts are sex organs. The other thing about that, about surgery, is that we never tell anybody that, you know, if you have a bilateral mastectomy and they remove the nipples, you're not going to have any nipple sensation. Your breasts are going to be numb. And I don't fault anybody for not saying that because that's not the surgeon's responsibility, right? Like they're there to make the cancer go away. And same with the oncologist. They're there to make the cancer go away. But body image. And then the other thing about body image is that some women with breast cancer will also have a hysterectomy. So have their uterus and ovaries removed. And then they're like, I don't have breasts, I don't have a uterus, I don't have ovaries. What makes me a woman? So it really, not only are you now battling cancer, but now you don't even feel like a woman. But what I like to say is you still have a vagina and you still have a clitoris. You can still have a wonderful sex life. You know, the, the clitoris is where most of the nerves and nerve endings are and you get a lot of pleasure from, from clitoral stimulation. So I think that's important. And then the other two were the painful sex and low libido.
0: Awesome, awesome. So any advice for women who wanna talk to their doctors about considering hormones or discussing their sexual health?
1: I think if you are in a place where you can see somebody who's a member of ISWISH or NAMS, the North American Menopause Society, I would definitely go to them. Because we're, you know, we, we function in a world that's so specialized, right? Like everybody's specialized. So if you go to a physician who delivers most, who does mostly baby deliveries, they won't be up to date on the best for you, right? So they might be in general up to date, but like we already said, as physicians, we don't get a lot of training on hormone replacement therapy. And so, or if you go to somebody who really just likes to operate and maybe they do a lot of, I don't know, you know, prolapse surgery, they might not be as up to date as somebody who's really in the menopause space or the sexual medicine space. And between NAMS and ISW, which there's a ton of overlap, right? Because menopausal women have a lot of sexual issues too. So, but how to bring it up? I think I would just ask, say, you know, I'm interested in maybe starting hormones. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? And the sexual issue, you can always say, hey, I want to ask you a question about, you know, my sex life and just lay it on the line. And I think you'll get a sense from the provider if they're open to talking about it or if they feel a little bit uncomfortable, like, you know, because not all providers feel comfortable talking about sex. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's, you know, cup of tea, which is totally fine. But you, I think you just approach it and see what kind of response you get and realize also that sex is a a topic that requires an in-depth discussion. So if you go for your well woman and you start and you ask about low libido, they might have you come back another day because you deserve to have the time to discuss it rather than them go, oh, just drink a glass of wine and, you know, not really have the time. So you might be asked to come back, but that way you'll get the time that you need and better care. Awesome.
0: Can you tell us again where people can find you?
1: Yes. So I'm in Missouri. I My website is Evora by Dr. Becky Lynn. So that's E, V as in Victor, O-R-A, by, which is B-Y, doctor, which is D-R, Becky Lynn, which is B-E-C-K-Y-L-Y-N-N.com. Sorry, it's a mouthful. Honestly, if you just Google search Dr. Becky Lynn Evora, E-V-O-R-A, you'll find me. I do do telehealth in Missouri. So if you're anywhere in Missouri, I can talk to you via telehealth. I love social media, so I love to post interesting articles about menopause and sexuality. I also have a blog on my website, but my Facebook is at Becky MD. So is Instagram, like you said. Our Evora Center Facebook is at Evora Center for Menopause and Sex Health. And I have a YouTube channel. So if you search Dr. Becky Lynn on YouTube, we have many videos that are so informative, so good. They're great for partners to listen to. If your partner can't make it to your visit, or they think you're crazy, you can show my videos and they'll be like, oh, okay, that makes sense now. But those are the best way to find me.
0: Very cool. And I'll post all of those links in the show notes too. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you.